You're listening to Al Yoshi Did It Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. Hey everyone, this is Yoshi, and thanks for listening to the new episode Yoshi Den. I'm here in North Carolina with Kimberly Motley and my friend Allison. She, um, from previous episode, knows that she, Allison's been driving around all over um, South and East Coast. So thanks to the both ladies. But uh, first, I'd like to dedicate this episode to Kathy Buck. She is the owner of Cameo Cinema up in St. Helena, California, 1340 Main Street, St. Helena, California. And it's one of the uh, famous single um, screen theater in San Helena. And they're just wonderful um, movie theater. And if you're looking for movie cinema experience, definitely check it out in uh, Napa Valley. So thanks, Kathy and Jason. And um, we dedicate this episode to you guys. And I hope you guys have a chance to get Eva Owners, the network, the movie. Uh, it's a wonderful movie of Afghanistan, Saddam Husseini. And I'm hoping today's guest return returning guest Kimberly could have her documentary in that theater as well and uh, I'm, I'm very delighted to be here in North Carolina first time here myself and Allison and um, it's uh, Kimberly I'm, 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 I'm you're very generous opening your house to us and I met your husband and your three wonderful kids they're just wonderful kids and oh thank you I don't like kids but your kids <laughs> just so sweet and I'm excited that because you just got back from uh, Europe and yeah. your, your daughter, you know, I was hoping because we have a mutual friend, Jessica, who works for uh, OneWomenYear.org, um, charity for women in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Your daughter wanted to go to Oxford. So that's, uh, yeah. that, that's great. And um, welcome to the show. And, 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 and um, um, I will let you and uh, Allison talk to each other because um, just let us know what hap- what's been going on with you last six months. Okay. And uh, you had exciting news today that you just told us 10 minutes ago. Right. And also, Alice had a question about the previous episode you did it for this podcast. So okay. I'll go ahead and, you know, here we go. Okay. Yeah, I guess just talk about what you just found out if you want to, because that's exciting news. Okay. Well, basically, what I found out is that I've been wanting very much to go to Pakistan to see if there's an opportunity to do cases in Pakistan as well and that is somewhere where it looks like I'll be going within a couple months which I'm very excited about um, because Pakistan is a country where there's over 9,000 people that are currently on death row and as I understand it it has the highest number of death row people in Pakistan mm-hmm. and you know the vast majority of the people are not terrorists um, frankly a lot of the people that are on death row in Pakistan are mentally ill people mm-hmm. they may be drug mules, um, people that are very in very vulnerable positions that are forced to become drug mules. Um, so they're not necessarily the worst of the worst, but they're in that, a lot of them are just in the situation simply because they don't have maybe the mental fortitude to understand the position that people were putting them in by being vulnerable people. And also, frankly, they don't have the financial backing to back them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Pakistan also is a place that has several foreigners that are locked up, non-Pakistanis. There are some Americans locked up in Pakistan. There are some British citizens locked up in Pakistan. And so I'm very interested to see um, 
how those cases are, are doing and to connect with the lawyers in Pakistan who have just given me an invitation to come um, to help them out with those cases. So I'm very excited. And are they like public defenders? Is there anything like that in these countries or no? I know you have a background in that. but Yeah, I mean, there are. There are people, at least I, I can speak on Afghanistan. There are people that are called legal aid providers that work within the Ministry of Justice. And to be honest, at least in Afghanistan, the lawyers within those or the under the umbrella of the Ministry of Justice are very very uninterested in their cases they're mm -hmm. government workers and quite often they don't even bother to show up to court yeah. um, and so it's very disheartening um, the sort of legal fortitude that they have but they do have that in Pakistan and is death you know death row here we always think like it takes years before people usually bite it <laughs> you know oh, right. like right. how does it work there is it a lot quicker or? oh it's definitely a lot quicker I mean at least in Afghanistan gosh. there isn't the you know in the US we have the protections of obviously our constitution which they do too but they don't necessarily have the appeal processes that we have in the US so frankly um, I've heard of people in Afghanistan that are frankly still going through their court process may have been given the death penalty in, in their first court, they can appeal to second court, and they are appealing it, but they then haul the way and then execute it. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of uh, rules that are skipped. Puts a lot of pressure on you. Like, you know, you have a time limit, too. Yeah, exactly. You know, but you're, yeah. Good. you're good under pressure, so. Exactly. And so I have, actually, I have a guy that I'm representing Afghanistan that's currently on death row, and he's an Afghan doctor. And so he's someone that I'm going to be representing when I go back to the country. Wow. Can you update everybody about the, the prisoners that you discussed last time, the guy from South Africa? Okay. That was a, the drug right one, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And the girl. and Right. Well, Bevan, since last time, you know, I've been working to try to get him out. He has completed his sentence. Unfortunately, um, when he was originally sentenced, um, I believe it was four years ago, he was given a $30,000 fine, which he has been obviously unable to pay. And the government is frankly um, going against their own constitution by continuing to illegally detain him. Because according to Article 21 of the Afghanistan Constitution, it says that debt cannot deprive a person's freedom. So basic cannot curtail a person's freedom. So basically debt is not a reason to lock somebody up or to prevent them from being free. And they're exactly doing that to Bevan. Mm -hmm. The problem with Bevan is, is that he is South African. Not saying that that's a problem, but the problem is there isn't a South African embassy in Afghanistan. Huh. So there aren't any South African diplomats in Afghanistan. And the closest that the South African diplomats are in Pakistan. So that's another benefit. When I go to Pakistan, I can go swing by the South African embassy and ask them, you know, what's, what's going to happen with Bevan? Because I frankly have exhausted all legal remedies. I've written to President Karzai three times. I've written to the Attorney General's office several times. I've written to the court several times. I've done everything legally that I can do um, for Bevan's case. I'm and I'm happy to continue to do those same steps. But frankly, he still is locked up. So yeah. that's what Bevan, that's the update on Bevan. So you can appeal to them, even though they're in Pakistan, and maybe they can pull something. I hope hopefully. so. I mean, to be honest, I've been appealing to them for over a year now, and they seem quite disinterested, which is really disheartening because it is their job as an embassy to protect their citizen if they're... Um, rights are being violated, which clearly right now Bevan's rights are being violated. Um, so that's that's the the thing right now. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. Um, sweetie, go ahead and ask. It's okay. 
What's that wrong? What's wrong, babe? Mosquito bumper. Oh, really? Well, could you ask Daddy to get you some itch medicine? I think we have some upstairs. I think it's in our bag. Okay, thank you. That was Kimberly's uh, lovely daughter. <laughs> Very sweet girl. And um, she, uh, <laughs> she's got a, a great face and voice. You know, she should be doing cereal commercial. Anyway, oh, that's the you. show business. <laughs> out. Um, how's, how's Bevan's mental state? I mean... You know, Bevan is one of the most amazingly strong people that I've ever met in my life. He had a he, great sense of humor when I met him in Afghanistan. He does. Like Polycharky, yeah. prison, yeah. Yeah, he may, he remains to be a beat. He remains, you know, he has his days where sometimes sure. he's down, but he's very strong. Um, and he, you know, he, like I said, he goes up and down. But for the most part, his wits are about him and he continues to be very strong <laughs> and very hopeful for his release. Yeah. I got him uh, one of my favorite movie DVD for him. I, I forgot to give it to you. The American by George Clooney. I don't know. Oh, okay. I, I should have. I forgot to bring a bunch of DVDs for him because, oh. um, Alice, I, you know, I don't know if I, that episode that you listened to, um, if, I did, if I did a good job presenting it, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's not a whole lot to do there. Right. And it's very dark. You have limited amount of time during the day to use, watch movies or read a book. So, right. Yeah. It's, um, so is, is it a happy movie? Um, I only give him happy movies. Okay. So he's not happy. I'm not giving it to him. I give him Toy Story. I give him Nemo. That's the stuff I give oh. him. So. <laughs> it, it's, it, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not a sad movie, but it's just a great Amer- American slash thriller suspense kind of movie. Oh, okay. I enjoyed it a lot, but um, it, it's, it, even though it's American actor in Europe, it has a... Almost like a Japanese film to it. Um, okay. But anyway, uh, yeah, I hope he's doing well. But one of your um, client was released recently from England. Was he's from yes. tax evasion case? Yes. I keep forgetting his name. I apologize. Um, um I don't say. Oh his yeah, name. Don't, okay. yeah. But he was released, and um, he was released, and he great. was released because I won the trial. So I'm very happy about that. So we appealed his case, and so he was acquitted. So now he's out, and he's back home with his family. So how many how many more um, prisoners in Charlie Parker do you represent? Um, two. Okay. I just picked up a Afghan doctor's. Look, I'm kind of I haven't totally committed, but I'm sure I'll help him. Um, an Afghan man that's um, sentenced to death row sure. in Afghanistan. He's a doctor. And so basically there is a confession by someone else who said that they did it and he's in, he's a young guy, um, mm-hmm. he's in his thirties um, and he's been sent to death row and actually his family members came to me asking if I could represent him. And so he's a new case that I'm, I'm, I'm sort of helping out with and getting things translated. And then I'm also representing another <coughs> foreigner sort of that's in also, um, it is in for murder. And so I'm looking to try to get him out as well. Okay. Um, oh, go ahead, Allison. Go ahead. Sorry, we we have two mics and uh, there are three of us, so we're taking turns. Um, but go ahead, Allison. You go. You know, and also the the girl that was in too. That was the other one you had talked about in the interview. What's happened to her? I I thought that was really interesting. Oh, okay. Oh, you mean Gulnas? Yeah. Okay. Well, Gulnas, um, she is now she's out. She's been out for a little bit, and she's been released from the shelter. Um, she has since married the person who was accused of raping her and they are now she became his second wife and now they're living together in a, in Kabul and you went and visited her and I did um you know a lot of people don't understand sort of you know my job is I'm her lawyer I'm not her life coach and so I was disappointed that she married obviously the person 
to whom had raped her um, since legally I'd, we had fought so hard to get her out and we're successful in that. But again, I'm her lawyer, not her life coach. And so basically um, the shelter that she was at chose to not tell me that she was going to marry this guy. I think, frankly, they did it intentionally. And so, um, and there was a little shadiness going on with them. And so long story short, she married him. Um, I went to their house. I visited them. I saw their kids. Um, I've seen him since apologized to her. Um, and they're moving on with their lives, you know. And, you know, all the kids are in school, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. um, when I went to go visit her, you know, he was not very overbearing on me coming there. In fact, he's welcomed me to the, the house every time I've gone. Um, as her lawyer, I felt it was my duty to continue to legally protect her. And so I drew up a marriage contract for them. Um, basically, in the marriage contract, um, some of the conditions that we put was that, you know, there were several people that donated to her. And so I wanted to make sure that the spirit in which people donated to her would be honored and people donated to her for the money to go to her not to him right. and so that was part of the marriage contract that her money is her money um, that was part of the marriage contract that she could go to school if she wants to as well as her daughter could go to school if she wants to it was part of the marriage contract that he would not obstruct her from visiting her family members because these are things that often happen in Afghanistan um, and there were things in the contract that said that he would pay her her diary um, and I'm not going to say what the amount was and so these were things that they agreed to put, they agreed upon they signed they all have a copy of and I have a copy of uh -huh. and so um, now she's you know at home and frankly they all seem to be getting along very well that's great it's got to be so hard <clears throat> culturally you know we come from a place where it just sounds like the most awful thing like mm -hmm. how could you go back with your rapist and marry them but like you said you were talking about how a lot of the anger against women you know in, in like you mm -hmm. in women against women rather um is from the women themselves you know oh, definitely and uh that's hard for us to understand, but... Yeah. And if you look at her situation, I mean, she was... When she we were able to get her out, she was 19 with a two-year-old daughter. And it's hard enough to be a teenage mother in the U.S., let alone in Afghanistan, in a culture where being a single mother with a child is, frankly, often a death sentence. And so often that's why they need sort of a male protector for them you know whether or not we we like it or not and for Gulna's specific situation her father was killed um, her two brothers one of her brothers was, th was still threatening her life her other brother was married and had his own life so she didn't have sort of a male person that could protect her so she truly would have been on her own I I, I guess she ran, really ran out of options so mm -hmm. um, if we compared to her situation to stage, you know, I'm sure she would have had many other options, but mm -hmm. she did the best she can in the circumstance she was in. But right. to to myself and both of you, it's just mind-boggling, you know, you have to marry a rapist, but um, she just made the rational decision, and this sounds like the best thing that she could do. I, sh I think she sounds like she's thinking more about her daughter right now, right? Right. I mean, and, um, I mean, she did have the option for asylum. Sure. And I do want to definitely put that out there, that she did have several countries that were willing to offer her asylum. But the problem was, as a 19-year-old young girl with a 2-year-old child, and frankly, I did tell her, 
my the pros and cons to everything because that is my job to give her the sure. pros and cons to taking that and frankly I thought her seeking asylum was frankly the best option when it was originally given to her. Which country was it? I couldn't. I can't say. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, but basically, the countries that she had, that you know, were options. Sure. I had housings picked out for her. I had places where she would live that was around other Afghans. So I'd try to really set things up for her. But at the end of the day, it, it, it would have been difficult for yeah. her because. You're talking about another culture, another language, another religion, another religion, right. and she's she's. I don't know if she had a employment history. No. I mean, all, all this adjustment would have been so hard, and I mean, I would have preferred she would have gone to another country, and I'm sure yeah. both of you probably did too. But um, yeah, um, right. Did, Every, everyone mm. has their different endings, I guess. Yeah. I hope it, it really works out for her, and yeah, um, yeah it, it's. You know, I've been there twice, and I think you you probably noticed this way better than I do. But it just seems like people in Afghanistan are used to bad news, and yeah. they they continue to live every day knowing that uh, you know quite often mm-hmm. um, more bad news than good news. So, but they learn to survive, and uh, they will survive through a 2014 when U.S. troop leaves. Oh, well, they will. I mean, Afghanistan yeah. isn't going to implode on itself. It's still going to be there. How is what in what fashion is it going to be there is the question. But sure. you know, Afghanistan has survived a lot of um, oppression and a lot of wars. And at the end of the day, you know, it, it they do need to stand on their own two feet. And it will be interesting to see where they go. You know, obviously, I hope for you know I'll still be working there. I hope that women will not be as oppressed as they are. I hope sure. that the people really are able to sort of stand up to. You know whatever terrorist factions are trying to take over. Absolutely, but we'll see. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll ask this question, and you know, you and Allison could go back and forth a minute. But um, I, I was concerned because last month and a half, two months, you know, you were calling me, and um, you know, you give me updates on what's going on in Afghanistan, and mm-hmm. I, I, I was already worried for you because just living in Afghanistan is just worrisome, you know. <laughs> but last several months, you know, they're. Uh, I don't know who were giving you a hard time, but maybe government agency or right. different factions of people mm-hmm. were going after you. And I didn't quite understand why until I think you were explaining to me, people are leaving Afghanistan, they're running out of money, and, you know, you, you're you're steadfast when it comes to corruption, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes two parties to have corruption, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I had to pay 60 bucks to get out of there. You didn't have to I pay I didn't have it. to. <laughs> I panicked, but well, yeah, it's true. It, it yeah. takes a party one trying to take, uh, yeah. uh, put you in a position, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if, if I didn't come, uh, agree with them, I was in trouble. Mm-hmm. But if I, as soon as I agree with it, I am part of the problem because it takes two parties. Mm-hmm. People who demand money and people who decide to give them money because they don't want to deal with it. So, but you're saying because you're preventing people from receiving corruption money and bribery, they're really angry with you. Right. And um, I'm I'm curious what what is it going to be like? Uh, what was what what has last two months been for you? And what do you think it's going to be when you go back to Afghanistan in a few weeks? Well, I mean, the last time that I was there a few weeks ago, I mean. Uh, you know, I've taken several new cases other than the criminal case. I've taken several new human rights cases, and that always gets attention. But also, um, 
part of my bread and butter in Afghanistan is representing the international commercial companies that I represent. And for the companies that I represent, I sort of serve as their bulletproof vest or their protection against the government. So if there's any issues that the government has with the company, um, the, the company often refers them to me, which is fine because that's the way that you know, the companies want it. Um, and often when it obviously involves legal problems. The problem is, is that it's quite clear with the Afghan government that I'm not down for corruption. I don't pay bribes. I don't engage in corruption at all. And so if they're going to come and talk to me, you know, right away, they know that is not part of the discussion. And so what they want to do is they try to circumvent me and they try to get me out the way, um, not physically, but sort of in other ways like warrants and things like that and so um, if they put those things on me then they can have a direct access to the company and so therefore they feel as though that they can now they're more comfortable in asking for money whereas with me I don't want to fucking hear it mm -hmm. you know what I mean and mm -hmm. so that was the problem and that's why they had warrants out on me that's why they were threatening arrest and they normally they do that often to be honest but this was the first time they had actually put it in writing which was quite unusual for them to do and uh, you know they didn't pull the trigger and arrest me because they knew that there was no basis for it. Um, they were trying to impose, say that I was committing in fraud, which was complete bullshit, you know, because they had no basis. I'm committing in fraud because I don't want to give them money. It's just ridiculous. And so, um, you know, I don't know how it's going to be like when I go back. I know it's going to be interesting. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. What are the differences with the, you know, you're describing how the the judges aren't even literate in uh -huh. Afghanistan. Is that not the case in Pakistan? I would think it's it's probably not the same in Pakistan. Like, there's got to be a little bit right. of a step up. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never been to Pakistan, but I, I don't want to make it seem like not all judges aren't, aren't illiterate. Right. But there are, you know, obviously illiterate Afghan judges. From what I understand in Pakistan, um, the judges are a little bit more educated, that the legal system is a little bit more advanced. Um, and I've heard this from several people, several lawyers. Um, but even despite that, they have the highest number of people on death row, which is why it would be interesting to sort of see the dichotomy of all of that um, when I go to Pakistan. Um, but I can imagine that in Pakistan, there probably are illiterate judges as well. Yeah. You know, because a lot of it, you know, the judges, they don't fill out application. They're appointed, you know, so you're appointed through your relationships. And so that's where you get some judges that simply are just illiterate judges. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see the diff to do that comparison and see the difference between the two. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. And the death penalty, it's not like you're, <clears throat> you're not fighting the fact that it is the, the penalty for mm -hmm. all these crimes that you go, like, how could that be? Right. You know? Yeah. Could death be the answer? But so now you just have to prove these people innocent. You're not trying to, you're not trying to change things on this big scale you know what I mean it's right is that the deal or are you talking talking the sentences down oftentimes or um, often I'll be talking the sentences down it depends case by case basis yeah you know um, there's always mitigating circumstances or positive factors that judges should consider when sentencing a person and so that should mitigate against you know, imposing the death penalty. Like, for instance, if you have a mentally ill person and you they don't have the mens rea or the, 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 the intent to commit a crime, then they shouldn't necessarily be charged because intent is one of the elements of committing a charge. And so 
you know, it'll be interesting to see based on my conversations with the lawyers in Pakistan. It seems like they do have a lot of mentally ill people that are on death row that are on there for non aggravating violent charges. You know, maybe like like I said, drug mules. I mean, that this shouldn't necessarily be a death sentence. Right. And there's just no one advocating for them. They're not doing a good enough yeah, job. Right, right. <laughs> There's a lot of people messing up, which is why you have over 9,000 people, I think. Right. So, you know, because that doesn't happen overnight. Okay, it's good. Okay. Oh. So, um, <laughs> sorry, we just turned it off and turned it back. I got it. So, Kim, how, how's, um, how's the trip back? How's that? Well, you know, you just got back from overseas, and uh, it must be great to be back for two weeks home, two weeks overseas with your family. Your kids are wonderful. Oh, thank you. Your daughter's excited to one attend Oxford. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And um, is, is it hard for you to, you know, just leave, leave, mm-hmm. and go back to work mm-hmm. to Afghanistan? I mean, uh, I mean, I know you're a very tough person, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, it's always hard to leave. You know, I love being at home. I love relaxing. I love being around my, my kids. But, you know, we all have bills to pay. Sure. And so, you know, when I go to Afghanistan or when I leave, when I come home, I really focus. When they're here, I don't really talk about work um, when they're in the house. Sure. You know, when they go to sleep or whatnot, then I work or when they're in school. But it is hard. I mean, it's difficult. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, this is a business. It's a family business. Sure. At one point in time, it's going to be their business um, in some capacity, not saying that they're going to be lawyers. And so, you know, we're trying to create a legacy here. So we'll see what happens. Your, your kids are just so well-behaved and polite and, and uh, just well-mannered kids, you know. And uh, like I was saying, like, I don't really interact with kids very well. But, yeah, they're just, you know, well, you, you and your husband doing a wonderful job and I don't know how you do it. You know, you work in Afghanistan. You're a mother. You're a, you're a wife. You're you know entrepreneur mm-hmm. and in philanthropy and things like that. So, um, I, I I guess my other questions were yeah. like, what what's com- so besides going to Pakistan? Mm-hmm. Uh, how's it going with your book and documentary? And and um, I don't know if Alice read that article. Tom Friston wrote a. Mm-hmm. Amazing article about you in Vanity Fair. What was, what's the reaction to that, Ben? Well, I've been very thankful that Tom was found as much interest in me to write the article. And the, the reaction has been amazing. I mean, I've gotten um, a lot of people that have reached out that said what a great article and that have been really sort of um, complimentary to me about my work and what I do, which I think is really, really nice. I've had a lot more people that want to work with me, which I think is really, really nice. Um, you know, I'm still working on my book. I'm still working on, well, other people are working on documentary. Um, I have some other sort of irons in the fire. I'm looking at other countries. I'm probably going to start working on some North Korean cases also, sure. which I'm very excited about as well. Um, maybe even Australia, some Aborigine cases, you know, because I, I just want to get out there and litigate. And so, um, you know, everyone is entitled to justice. Every and that sort of is one of my messages is that, you know, whether you're in Afghanistan, America, Pakistan, North Korea, whatever, everyone should have access to justice. Everyone. That shouldn't cost anything to everyone because it's something that we're all supposed to be entitled to through our respective laws of our respective countries. And so that's sort of a message that I like to promote by way of the cases that I represent through the people and try to give them an example 
through the cases, which um, whether they're successful or not, of how they can possibly have that access to justice that they're entitled to. And I, I think this show idea is great because, you know, Anthony Bourdain have that travel show. Mm-hmm. He's trying to learn other culture through eating mm-hmm. food from different culture. And quite often I've seen cases where even the defendant, they know so little about their legal procedure in their country. And, right. you know, we can't assume everyone could read and write. Mm-hmm. So if they're watching TV show, they could hear how things work. They could learn their uh, legal system. In the, you know, whichever country you're visiting. So I, I, I think this is great that you're mm-hmm. doing it with Pakistan and other countries, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you, when are you going again? I'm sorry, to Pakistan, uh, September, October? Yeah, about that. I have to see. I have a couple of trials. I have two trials in Afghanistan that I need to do, um, and that's going to be my focal point when I get back, as well as some other sort of commercial matters I need to close out. But um, hopefully, you know, be, before the end, of October I'll be in Pakistan for a little bit just to check it out and see if it's possible. But how does that work like you know in the states you're supposed to have passed par- bar exam for that mm-hmm. specific state you're practicing right? Mm-hmm. How is it that you don't do you have to do that for Afghanistan? Well in Afghanistan what they do is according to their advocates law it states article 6 it states that if you're a member of good standing of your bar in your respective jurisdiction then a foreigner can represent other foreigners in Afghanistan. Ah. And so they don't really have a system to sort of um, show, to, to basically give a foreign lawyer that permission. So because I'm the first and because I'm the only, I created a system sure. using that law. And so what I did was, before I even went to court, I went to the Ministry of Justice, the Attorney General's Office, the Supreme Court, and also the um, Afghanistan Independent Bar Association. And I went to the heads of all these organizations and governmental entities and asked for their permission to be okay with me to practice. And they were all fine with it. And so in addition to that, I gave them a letter, the Bar Association, a letter from my Supreme Court of Wisconsin to say that I'm in good standing so that they know that I don't, that I am licensed here. I gave them a copy of my lawyer's license as well. And I got that notarized by the U.S. Embassy and the Afghanistan Minister of Foreign Affairs. And I gave that to them because I felt like that was the best way and the most transparent way in a way that made sense to me of what they should do in order to allow a person to practice in Afghanistan. Um, They do not let people who are not Afghan citizens become licensed in Afghanistan per se. Now, you know, it's been offered to me, but frankly, I said, you know, take off the citizenship requirement and then I'll do it. I don't want that hookup. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because then it goes against what I'm doing, you know, which is following the law. But I did appreciate, you know, the offer kind of because, and they gave it to me after years of practicing and it was a respectful thing. But um, that's basically how I'm able to represent in Afghanistan and I'll be researching what I need to do in Pakistan and hopefully, you know, maybe rep- start representing you there You think as well. it's a similar um, procedure in Pakistan too? You could I practice? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I don't know. I mean, but I have a lot of licenses in a lot of different jurisdictions. I mean, I'm licensed in the U.S. and Wisconsin. I'm li- I just got licensed in the Supreme Court of the U.S., which I'm very excited about so I can take some Supreme Court cases. I'm licensed in the International Criminal Courts. I'm licensed in Dubai and the Financial Courts. I'm licensed in... Um, I permission to practice in Afghanistan, working on my barrister's license, and I'm working on being licensed in several other countries as well. Um, I like court. <laughs> yeah. 
I also forgot. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention his name, but the, this prominent person wrote about you in the blog. Oh yeah. <laughs> Can you talk about him or? Uh, yeah, that, I mean that was really nice. Also, Richard Branson. Okay, okay. so it's yes. okay. Okay. Oh yeah, definitely. So can His you tell public, well, you know, um, what he has done for you and, and um, um, I guess what was the blog? I can't remember. I did read it, but I'm I'm spacing out. What did he say in well, that blog? Well, basically, he talked about specifically one of the cases that I represented: a child bride, a six-year-old um, Nagma, who is basically going to be. Um, was sold by her father. Oh, oh, sorry. And by the way, if you don't know who Sir Richard Branson is, he owns Virgin um, Airlines and Virgin Record, and um, he's a very successful businessman from UK. And he's been donating a lot of money in different causes that he really doesn't have to do, but because he cares. And um, and he was kind enough to talk about Kimberly and his blog. And I think he he sounds like he want to work projects whatnot with you yeah i mean we'll say, i don't yeah. want to like count my chickens yeah, yeah, yeah. before they hatch but yeah. he was he's um, an amazing person um he's very wealthy but he's also very socially minded which i really really appreciate that in him and like you said he get, he donates a lot of money in a lot of different social socially minded um areas including um making the earth greener which i think is a, a definite message that we all need to sort of try to to adhere to um but basically, he wrote about um, my work in representing a, a little girl who was sold by her father um, for a $2,500 debt. There was an uh, anonymous donor that came forward to satisfy that debt. And basically, um, I was the head of a jirga in Afghanistan, which is basically a and part of the informal justice system where it's village, village elders to sort of decide what's going to happen in a certain situation. Well, in this particular situation, I got involved and I told them, the elders, that, you know, I'm happy to get involved, but I want to be in charge of this jirga. And they all agreed. And long story short, the marriage was annulled. Nagma's back with her father, which is great. And, you know, now she's, you know, back with her family, which is great. And her father has a job. And so they're just moving on. And so Sir Richard Branson, um, he obviously found out about this case and he reached out, which is very nice. And he wanted to meet. And so we met together um, in Dubai, actually. And in his blog, um, you know, he titles me, which I think is cool, as a lawyer without borders, mm. which is what I want to be yeah, that's and great. what I think I am a little bit. And so that was very nice for him to highlight some of the work that I've done in Afghanistan. And I appreciate that. So we'll see. Um, and, and I, I don't know how comfortable you are talking about, but there's been a couple huge, serious cases that you're, you've are you been dealing with. Yeah. Would, would you mind talking? About, oh, yeah, that's fine. Um, They're disturbing. I'm yeah. not going to lie to you. You told me like... Uh, Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, but they're huge cases. And they're, I mean, every case is important. Yeah, you know? of course, of course. Um, but basically, one of them involves a 15-year-old Sahar Gul, who was an Afghan young Afghan girl who was sold, you know, basically sold into marriage when she was 12. And long story short, when she was married off, um, her in-laws and her sister and her mother-in-law, father-in-law, sister-in-law, and her husband. Um, really tortured this girl. I mean, they locked her in a basement. They handcuffed her. They starved her. They electrocuted her, beat her, cut her. They... Is it because she refused to be a prostitute, if I yes. remember? Okay. They, she refused to be a prostitute. Um, and they did so many horrendous things to her for months and months and months to this child. And so 
her family would come to the house, you know, sort of coming just to see her, and they would always say that she was gone. Well, finally, her uncle and her brother realized that that was bullshit, and so they came to the house with the police and then found her in the basement half dead. And so she was so weak that she couldn't even walk. They had to wheelbarrow her from the house, and she wasn't even able to eat properly for months and months because they had tortured her so much. I mean, they were doing things such as the, the father-in-law was, you know, ripping her fingernails from her her fingers. Um, they try to cut her eyes out. They try to cut her mouth off, her lip, her lips off her her face. Um, they, you know, pulled her hair out of her head yeah i mean it was just ridiculous and so basically um the international and afghans found out about this case and they arrested the mother-in-law father-in-law and the sister-in-law and so basically um they found them guilty of attempted murder sure um they gave them 10 years in prison in first court as well as in appellate appellate court which was great but they never found the husband and the husband works as i understand it for the army so there has been rumors that the afghan army is hiding this guy and so the case went to the supreme court the Supreme Court then kicked the case back down to the appellate court because I guess they said that there were errors and the appellate court basically overturned their own decision that they had just given against these perpetrators and freed them all and basically said, you know, they didn't do it. And so... What's, um, what's the recourse in a situation like that? It's, it must be disheartening for her and you as her attorney. What, what do you do from that point on? Well, it was, it was extremely disheartening because... It had lost the media attention. It had lost the international eyes. It had lost the Afghan attention, which is why I think it may have been overturned. And a lot of people have made the theory, has said the theory that the judges were paid. And frankly, I, I don't normally, you know, sort of jump on board unless there's evidence. But frankly, I don't see how the hell they could have released these people for what they did, especially since there was medical evidence supporting that you know that she was at least physically harmed sure and so i then started representing her so now i'm representing her and so what i've done is is now i have reopened the case and we are going to the supreme court and with the supreme court um i have i'm arguing that there are more charges that they should be charged with uh, which there are um and i think the amount of charges has at least 60 years in prison. Like, for instance, too, they were charged with attempted murder, which I don't necessarily... That's always a hard charge to sort of get somebody for. You know, you had Trayvon Martin's case where I believe he was charged with attempted murder. As, oh, was he charged with murder? George Zimmerman. Um, George, uh, George yeah. Zimmerman. Sort of, you know, it's a very difficult charge to sort of stick somebody with, um, which is why a lot of people go manslaughter or whatnot. And so with her particular case, you know, there's additional charges she could get. Like, for instance, being a child bride, that's a charge. According to Afghan law, you cannot force a kid to be married that's under the age of 16. Frankly, according to Sharia law, you can't force any woman to be married, period. Mm -hmm. So we're bringing that up also charging her with being kidnapped, charging her with um, charging them with terrorism, charging um, them with unlawful detention of a minor, charging them with 
um, them forcing a minor into delinquency. You know, there's a lot of charges that we're just throwing at them. And in addition to this, and this case is important because this is the first case in Afghan history that I know of where a victim is actually being represented by a lawyer. And that is something that is allowed by Afghan law. And that's something that I see that is a problem in Afghanistan is a lot of people just do not know the law. And so basically, um, with this particular case, it's Claude. So with this particular case, um, she had prosecutors that represented the state and that were prosecuting the people that did this to her, but she herself didn't have an attorney. So in addition to the criminal charges, what we're also doing, which is also historic, is we're suing for civil compensatory damages, which has not happened. A victim in Afghanistan has never sued for money, but we are going to do that because we want to make the point that this shit should have never happened in the first place, number one. And two, people seem to get the message more, I think generally, when you hit them at, in their pockets. And so that's something that we're going to do, and that's a case that's coming up that we're going to litigate when I come back to Afghanistan in the Supreme Court. And if we're successful to get such a decision, the Supreme Court is going to be huge because it's potential precedent that's being set to help other victims that are similarly situated. And so with a lot of cases that I choose to take in Afghanistan, especially the human rights cases, that is part of the, the, the point, that it's not just about representing that client, but also representing that client in a way that can help other similarly situated people to also benefit from those decisions. And so that's sort of one of the main focal points of cases that I have going back. I'm just like thinking about all these things you described. Is that girl okay? Like, did she sustain any like brain damage? I mean, yeah. Is she recovering? You know what? I think she'll always be recovering, to be honest. And one good thing is that she was a child. She was young when this happened. I mean, she was a, teen, a young teenager. And, you know, I think, I'm not saying that it's healthy, but I think kids quite often, it's easier for them to block things out. And so when I talked to her, you know, when I first started representing her, I obviously needed to get this information from her. And so, you know, it was very difficult doing that, understandably, because she just didn't want to relive it, which I totally understand, you know, but I needed the information. And so she's... And, and, and also you have daughters too. So exactly. You, you know, I'm sure you've... Right. You must feel... A lot of feel emotion, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Because it it just the emotion I usually sort of choose is anger. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. um, because that helps propel me into my work. And so I, I'm very pissed off with what happened to her because it shouldn't happen to her or anyone else for that matter. And it's a fucking shame that they actually release these guys. And so the question is, okay. There is no question that this girl was physically harmed. If it wasn't these fuckers, then who did it? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And the, the fact of the matter is, is that they were the ones that were in the house. You know, and so one another big issue that I wanted to bring up is that in Afghanistan, they're currently trying to pass the law, which I'm very heavily lobbying against, which basically says that a person that is a relative of victim, like a, a person cannot that is a relative cannot testify against another relative. Now that's complete bullshit because if you look at a case like Sarah Ghul, she's married into a family. So that means that if she goes to court as she did and she wants to charge these people for what they've been charged with, that basically 
her uncle who saved her cannot testify for her. Wow. Her brother who saved her cannot testify for her. That she herself as a victim, according to this law, cannot testify against those people that did this to her just because they are her relatives. And so at the end of the day, if she cannot testify against her relatives, if she can't have relatives that testify on her behalf, then the court would have no choice but to find them not guilty. And as a 15-year-old, bride then what happens is that she has to go back home with the same motherfuckers that did this to her and that's what this law will do it will make people like Sarah Hagul who are extreme victims of violence continually become extreme victims of violence and it will continue to promote that um, violent cycle that Afghanistan gives especially to the women and the young women that are there who's pushing for the law and, and what's their reasoning behind it and his well, I think they tried to, like, it was one of those situations where they tried to put it under the rug. You know, so what they did was they hid it within, they're, they're revamping the current criminal procedure code in Afghanistan. So within that code, there's like 500 articles. You know I what I mean? So it's just one of the articles. So they're trying to, like, get it in sort of under the wire so people don't pay attention. I'm surprised when you said the Sharia law doesn't allow mm-hmm. anyone to force a woman into right. marriage ever. It's a holy so- Quran. The Holy Quran says it. Specifically. So how does how does that <laughs> how do how, how come it happens so so frequently? You know, where's the disconnect? Right. I think there's been a lot of misinterpretation of Sharia law through the culture, and I think that you know people have unfortunately taken advantage taken advantage of it. It's like it's sort of one of those situations I think where people have been doing the same wrong thing for so long, you can't really tell them that it's wrong because they've done it for so long. You're like, "No, read this in the Holy Quran, this chapter and verse. It says that you're not supposed to force a woman to do anything against her will." You know, and it's just like and and I've literally had to pull out the Holy Quran in court sometimes and say, this is where it is. Just please read it. And you see them read it and the light bulb goes off like, huh, I didn't know this was in there. And it's like, yeah, it's in there. That's a that's a tough one, not just Afghanistan, but illiteracy is quite high in Afghanistan. Um, of course, there are high literacy countries like Turkey and Iran right. and things like, like that. But that's got to be tough if they were never brought to really think on your own and if they can't read they have to just assume whoever's reading whether it's the mullahs the religious teachers teaching and quite often they're biased many of those um, institutes are financed by extreme groups whether in Saudi Arabia and places like that so I'm sure that's that's a big problem right because they just say if they don't they don't read it themselves and say I disagree with you. The Quran said you you can force women to do it. So, right. um, I mean, I don't know, like the financing. I'm, I've, you know, I've obviously read media reports, but I think it's just with a lot of sort of the the misguidance mm-hmm. um, that's been given on the things that people say Sharia law says that it does not say. I think it's it just becomes a culture of ignorance, and people really take advantage of the fact that people are illiterate and that people are very trusting of what their mullahs say or what their elders say um, because they've been taught the same thing yeah. by word of mouth. And so then that just sort of repeats generation to generation and then you get, you know, Afghanistan 2013 as it is today. Um, there's, there's been quite a bit cases even in places like India. You know, like six or eight months, there's been well, how many multiple gang rapes cases. Right. And I read 
I, I haven't been to Pakistan, India, but it sounds similar in those three countries, including Afghanistan. This aggressive stare, uh, harassment, and, and things I've read in but India, the sexual harassment is part of life. Many women, except in India, like that's the price you pay to get out of your house. And like you were saying, the culture of ignorance, but they have culture where women are getting harassed in those three countries, and they're just just assume that's just normal part of life, and it's not. And even this 12-year-old girl, you know, bless her heart, because where did she get her moral courage to say, I don't want to be a prostitute, I don't want to be forced into it. She's she's a very brave, tough girl. I mean, I I think most 12-year-old girls, probably were to just give up and just do what they're being told you know so. exactly especially if you're being sort of told and tortured by four adults that are saying i mean when you're 12 you're in sixth grade you know yes. what i mean and like you look up to your adults you look up you know and every adult that was in that household with her failed her miserably and 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 criminally you know and, and morally and, and morally ethically, everything yeah. And she is a strong, strong girl, you know, to really stand up. And it's a lot of really strong young women out there. I mean, look at, you know, Malalai in, in Pakistan. Pakistan, my sure. God. She that, was shot that by girl. Taliban. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that girl is a warrior, you know, and it's just, you know, for her to stand up and Sahagul to stand up, it's amazing that these kids are out there really having the moral fortitude to say, no, I don't want to do that. You know, and it's really a, it, a, a huge detriment to their life, you know. Those those men with those kinds of behavior and Taliban, I mean Taliban, you know they they're probably afraid of drones, but you know they they will fight U.S. military. But but if there's one thing that they're really afraid of is educated young women, young girls. They're just they're just terrified by that, you know. And right. and to me, I'm glad there's people like you know Sam Hussaini who promote those media where. People watch TV show because illit- when the Ill- literacy is high, Allison, I think only thing people could really learn is through radio and watching TV show and watching those shows mm-hmm. expand women's imagination like they could be better and have a better life. And Kimberly, when they see you talking to men equal to equal level communicating mm-hmm. and you're, you're, you don't back down, mm-hmm. that's a great example. This 12 year girl in Malala in mm-hmm. Pakistan, you know, so it's really tough. It, it's, it was discouraging for me to go to Afghanistan twice but um, in those places you just gotta improve incrementally like that um, that well, I keep forgetting her that 17 year old girl she made a decision to marry her rapist uncle cool well, that, yeah right. so you gotta do the best you can in circumstance and quite often right. you're really have a limited amount of option in life you right. know so and you know honestly like Gulnaz it's, it's very easy for I think people to sort of look at that like oh my god how could she but i i consider her also very extremely brave i mean she really she did that more for her daughter i mean Mm -hmm. she understands the bigger picture it's not about her it's her daughter and so that's who she wants to protect and so i think that happens with a lot of women unfortunately in very developing countries where they really bite the bullet for their children and they really you know outside looking in they're extremely subservient they take a lot they're victims of violence but a lot of times they, they, they are in those roles because culturally they're in those roles, but also they're protecting their kids. Because if they take that, the brunt of sort of the violence themselves, sometimes their, their kids won't have to. Yes. You know, and people don't understand that. You know, there are women that get beaten because they want their girls to go to school. And 
their husbands does, don't want them, but they're like putting their foot down. No, my daughter's going to school, but they every day they get their ass kicked. You know what I mean? And a lot of people just don't see that and don't appreciate it. And so, you know, that's one thing that Gulnaz was very insistent upon that she wants. Uh, Mushka, the little daughter, to go to school. And Gulnaz is uneducated. She doesn't know how to read. She doesn't know how to write. But she definitely wants that of her daughter. You know, it's funny. <clears throat> Everyone just, you know, kind of can blanket say, like, oh, men, you know, men are doing it all. But like you said, mm-hmm. it was the mother-in-law beating that, that right. girl. And sister-in-law. Know? I mean, it is so systemic. So. And that's what a lot of people don't talk about in Afghanistan also is that Frankly, a lot of violence that happens against women and young girls is from another woman. Mm -hmm. And you don't hear a lot about it, but I think that's something that should also be highlighted. Just like, frankly, a lot of the sexual abuse that happens in Afghanistan is, frankly, a lot of it is against little boys. And I think people really need to talk about that as well, because, you know, boys are a huge huge um, population that are being sexually abused in Afghanistan and it's, it's just absurd by, by men, by older men and it's just an accepted part of the culture. Do you, do you stay hopeful that things are just going to keep improving or is, is it ever hard to, you know what I mean? There, gotta, there have to be some times where you feel defeated or not defeated but at mm-hmm. least discouraged. Yes, I mean I, I try to be optimistic um, but it is very discouraging. I mean because it's like you know, once I really started getting into these cases and started taking cases, it's like, you know, for every case I took, I realized how many, every person I was representing, I realized how many people I'm not helping. You know what I mean? It just really opened the floodgates. But I try to be very optimistic. Um, I try to be very hopeful. And I try to, and I think the world needs to understand that, you know, the oppressed people within Afghanistan, especially like the women, it's not just to the benefit of Afghanistan that they be lifted up, that they be helped. It's to the benefit of the world that the Afghan women are lifted up and that are, they are protected. So I think it's really important for the world to understand that, that we just need more Afghan women, not only as good examples to Afghanistan, but also to be representatives to the world of, you know, how to rise above sort of very significant oppression that they face. I, I completely agree with you and that um, when, when women are treated really well, both emotionally and, and physically, and they're living a really good life, um, mothers are able to give progressive ideas to kids because quite often, if those Af- Afghan, Pakistan, Indian boys grow up in North America, they're not, most of them are will not behave that way. Right. They don't know, they don't know any better so I, I think you doing these cases and working with uh, our good friend Jessica Lamb who uh, have that uh, one woman a year dot org right. trying to provide money to send girls Afghan girls to Oxford and you know give them the best education possible so more educated you are more informed you make better decision for yourself and um, it's in our national interest to make sure women are treated better because their sons, especially their sons, mm-hmm. won't behave the way they are right now. Um, I mean, it's just this. I'm just stunned. Places like India, it's it, they speak English, they have rule of law, yet the sexual harassment, the way they treat women, they think it's. Uh, no, of course, I don't want to say every Indian right. man, but um, definitely the whole world looking at them right now. It's really important that we put pressure on their government. They need to do something drastic and change because. Right. Um, we don't want vigilante uh, law either, but um, I'm, I'm glad 
you doing it. So, um, I, I don't want to just keep talking about all these horrible no <laughs> cases you're dealing. <laughs> um, I, I, I think you talked, uh, maybe we, you could talk really quickly, talk to one more, then after that, completely okay. stop about that. We just want to talk more about your domestic life, and, you know, different from what it is from Afghanistan. Uh-huh. Wasn't there a case you were dealing with? Um, I think she's Dutch. She worked for maybe the... the Oh, okay, 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 never mind. Okay, we'll, right. we'll skip that one. Um, well, we can talk about it, but just not, you know, specific. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. But basically, there's another case in <laughs> Afghanistan where a foreigner was, was raped, um, pretty brutally gang raped. Um, was it was it Taliban or? I don't know what they were. Okay. They were just sick assholes, you yeah. know, and so, um, yeah, it, it was a really terrible case, and that's sort of another trial that I have coming up when I go back to Afghanistan, and, and it's another case where I'm representing the victim. Sure. Um, in the case, I'm representing the foreigner, and, you know, we'll see what happens, but, you know, that that's a case where, obviously, my goal is to make sure that they get prosecuted and be, get prosecuted correctly, and also that there be civil damages imposed as well, because she did not have the proper protection that she was entitled to under the company with whom she was working for. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But another uh, sort of client that I'm really interested in talking about, we have time, is my boxing oh, sure. girls. Um, yes. The women's boxing team. And I would love for someone like Mike Tyson or, you know, Russell Peters to come out and do sort of a boxing diplomacy with, with my girls um, because I think it would be fantastic for them to show support to the Afghan women's boxing team who are now pre- preparing the Olympics in Rio. It will be the first time that um, they will go to the Olympics if they're allowed to go, um, the, the boxing, meaning the women's boxing team. But I think it would be a great sort of boxing diplomacy for them to get involved in. And it will show sort of support for you know strong Afghan women, which is what they are. They're very young girls that are doing something that's very... Um, goes against very much the culture, frankly. And they get threats, they get ridiculed, they get all that. Um, but even with all that, they continue to box, which I think is is extremely, extremely important. And I'm a big supporter of sports and, and mm-hmm. women, too, because, you know, living in the States, I, I of course, you know, being a typical guy, I, I'm... I'm it's my fault too. You know, you have a tendency to just look at women and judge by what they look like. But what's so great about sports for women, instead of worrying what their body parts looks like, what they're capable of doing with that body, whether mm-hmm. it's track or running or swimming or boxing, and mm-hmm. I, I think it's always good. And I, th- I also think people who are involved in physical fitness and athletic events, I think they're more confident about themselves. Right. You know, how do you, how how do you become a winner? And when you when you lose, how do you come bounce back and uh, mm-hmm. uh, com- compete again? So I I think it's traffic. I did talk. I I, I uh, talked a little bit of Russell. I mean, he just recently met Mike Tyson, and for some bizarre reasons, last ten years I've been in an environment where I saw Mike Tyson three times. One time I talked him for a little bit, but I I hope you know if 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 we're lucky enough to and have Leila a listener, Lee would be fantastic. Also, if if there's a listener who happened to be a friend of Mike Tyson, I know Russell mm-hmm. and. Uh, he seemed interested if we could get Mike Tyson, you know. And right. uh, there's nothing like bringing someone who made a lot of mistakes in, in his life too, who has bounced back, apologized, and uh, he's doing something with his life. And we'd love to have someone like that go to Afghanistan help. And now he's doing this whole PR thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, you know, when I go to the Olympic Stadium in Afghanistan, which is not at all like an Olympic Stadium should be, um, 
everyone knows Mike Tyson. Sure. I mean, it is amazing. You know, like the men know him. The women, they always talk about him. Oh, absolutely. It's like the girls, frankly, always talk about Layla Ali, who they also love. And it would be also amazing to get her to come to Afghanistan. I'd be happy to sponsor them. Because um, I think it would be really, really cool. Yes, please, listeners, uh, if you have any sort of connection to any of the fighters, we would love to uh, contact me or contact um, Kimberly directly to her yeah. uh, Twitter account, which we will mention at the end yeah. of it here, Allison. And we can have, like, an exhibition. You know what I mean? Like, I think a boxing and comedian <coughs> a comedy exhibition in Afghanistan would be really cool where we raise money for perhaps a women's shelter, like the shelter where Sarah Ghul is staying at, where Gulnaz stayed at. You know, there's, you know, she stayed at Women for Afghan Women, which is an amazing shelter that helps you know, very, very, very extreme victims of violence. And they do an amazing, amazing job. And so I think, you know, it wouldn't be just for them to come out and box. It'd be for the purposes of trying to raise money to go to these organizations to help women. And, you know, I'd be happy to make sure that every dime goes exactly where it's intended to go. Western celebrity just lends so much legitimacy to any kind of cause, I think, too. Because no matter what the people might think of the military, Everyone loves Hollywood and everyone, yeah. you know, sports and, and all of it. So that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. So um, I, I, we will mention at the end of the bit, but um, um, I'm, I, actually, I'm kind of glad that Cloud, your husband's here too. And I don't, I, I, I want to at this point stop talking about Afghanistan. And it, it was shocking yesterday when I saw you in short <laughs> because you know always business at here you know it's very conservative it was really nice to see your inter- interaction with your wonderful kids and your husband and uh, and it, it was a, kind of funny this uh, a couple hours ago I was talking to your husband about Breaking Bad <laughs> it, you know like it's just it's fun to it's just have fun to talk to you guys stuff that is not so Serious, serious all the time you know and right. I'm so happy to see you in such a relaxed environment with your family and stuff yeah. God I, I, I don't know why I always worry about you over there I I just, just um, you know um, I have so many people that now are friends and people have oh, a lot yeah. of strong feeling for you are definitely one of them and I, I oh, really sweet. love and admire what you do because um, I don't think people really appreciate how much uh, you do for those people over there. And, uh, you know, bless every NGO and mm-hmm. American expats over mm-hmm. there because yeah. many of you guys are really well-educated, highly-skilled people. You could make more money living in the States, but you, you make huge sacrifice, you know, yeah. huge sacrifice. And we always hear these ugly Americans where, you know, we have a stereotype we don't really care. But I think it's wrong. We, there are plenty. It just... We just want to see Kim Kardashian and Kanye West more on TV. <laughs> then people are doing wonderful work, and uh, right. you are. And your husband is making a lot of sacrifice. Your kids oh, are definitely. making a lot of sacrifice. Right. You're making a lot of personal sacrifice there too. Mm-hmm. So, um, thank thanks for doing that. But um, how how's how's your vacation been? I mean, you can we talk a little bit more about your um, trip to um, uh, both of you, uh, oh, uh, yeah. England and oh, Paris? Yes. Was it first trip for your kids? No, they actually went to London last year, but it doesn't count. And let me tell you, because we went to um, Dubai, yeah. and then we went to London for a layover. And so we decided to stay an extra day, but we went there on Easter Sunday, oh. not realizing that everything shuts down in sure. London on Easter Sunday. And so that's why I say it doesn't count. So, you know, so this was the first rip trip to London, and it was, there, you know, everyone's first trip to Paris, which was amazing. And so how, how did you like uh, London and Paris with your kids? And you guys, too. I mean, how did you guys like your trip? I mean, Oh, we loved it. And it's so funny. I mean, in Paris, it was, like, really chilled out. And it was so funny. 
<laughs> it was so funny. I have to tell this story. And so, um, so you want me to tell you? Yeah, you can tell Okay. And so, um, Claude, you know, of course, like when we go to, when we go, we go out. You know, we mm -hmm. go clubbing. And, like, we like to go clubbing in the hood. I'm not even going to lie. And so, anyway. <laughs> and so, we were in Paris. Well, can we give, give this credit card? He's a tall, good-looking guy. I mean, you look like you just <laughs> retired from... NFL, NBA, you're, 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 you're a pretty impressive uh, uh, man right here. If you were told me you play for the Carolina Panthers, I would have believed it. So, um, yeah, it's about that. It's about yeah, something yeah. with, right? Yeah, go yeah. Ahead. So we go in the club, right? And so Claude, you know, we were dancing or whatever, and then he goes to the bathroom. And so, like, this French dude, like this white French dude comes up to him like, hey, dude. And he's they're laughing at him because, like, he has his shirt, and he, like, takes it off. He literally, like, rings it out on in the sink because it's like that. It's like it's like that hot and there's that many people here and it's like a really really good club and so the guy starts laughing and he was like uh you know where are you from you know i can't do a french accent so Claude was like oh i'm from the u.s he was like oh, okay he was like my guy is from trinidad and he was and Claude was like okay he was like yeah niggas in paris whoa <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this so, is a white guy, right? White white guy. Yeah. So like, ah, you know, and so, right, and so luckily, you know, and so you know, we're you know, Claude's not that way, and so he was like, you know, we. Well, I mean, kids. you're stunned, right? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. We're also hip, you know. Yeah. Well, the thing about it was is that I, you know, I had to take a pause. You know, I had to look at him and and just make sure that you know the context was right. You and know? intention too. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and you know, and I, and I don't know if the look kind of stopped him. He was like, no, 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 my, my best friend is black also. And, and the guy was in the bathroom and he was, you know, he came out of the stall, you know, he started hugging him and things like that. And I was like, oh, okay, I understand. Is that the name of the song? Yeah, or, oh, the oh, okay, that's why, yeah. Kanye West, all niggas in Paris. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and he was like, the song, we love the song and things like that. And I'm like, ah, oh. I said, yeah, okay. But, you know, I, but it's, it's a different feel over there. You know, people, I, the, the whole context of, of uh, you know, the racism and things like that is different, you know. And you have to, you always have to realize that when you're over a different country, you have to also adjust to the different cultures and things like that. I, I remember uh, uh, Harlem Renaissance and all the artists and scientists and writers and they were, and like even many of the artists traveled to Paris like, Josephine Baker and right. like it, Paris was one of the few places where African American performers and thinkers were treated like equal yep. and they were yep. mega stars over there right. so right. Um, um, Jack Jackson I, I, went yeah, over there yeah. he had a, he got, almost got a, you know pretty much ex um, exiled out of the United States because of the situation of him and you know a, a interracial relationship sure went over there and just did just fine you know? but 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 split second like were you like this motherfucker oh really? man yeah, I, yeah. I was stuck I yeah. was really stuck I had I had you know and I don't know like I said before it was everything went in slow motion I'm just kind of looking at the guy like you know uh, you know is he is he really saying this to me you know sure. but you know but the thing about it is, is that you know everybody was there having fun and, and you're talking about all cultures they were playing all types of music and everybody was just having fun and you know when you think about it then you you can, you can almost put it back into the context of the song you know and and you know and unfortunately here you know we have such a connotation with the word and sure. such a struggle with the word that people you know it, it does put those feelings into you but when you realize that people are just enjoying it it's just another word i mean you could say so many other words that would be so many so detrimental to people than just you know niggas it's, it's you know you we capture ourselves in that word and being angry and things like that 
but I mean, he was just enjoying it. He he was happy to see me, and he knew how my shirt was wet. He knew yeah. I was out there having fun. So you know, he was just wanted to keep thing, keep everything going. You know? And he didn't mean anything by it either. You know, and the thing about it is, it was funny because. Um, you know, it is a song. It's yes. a good song. You know, and then when he got out of the bathroom, they played the song, and it's a jam in Paris. Sure. You know, and so so it was, I mean, the racism in the U.S. is just different. It's not in Paris, you know, and when you go overseas, it's just different. Like in Afghanistan, it's about whether you're a foreigner or not a foreigner. Sure. You know, in the U.S., it's so racial and everything. It's it's exhausting, you know, how racial it gets here. And so it's it's kind of nice to travel and to see that people aren't, so hung up on those things as we are overseas yeah. you know so it, it, there was really nothing to it well this is my second time in south I, I was in Atlanta Georgia one other time for like half a day and yesterday was like I spent half a day and today tonight yesterday and last night and today we we're in Charlotte doing we're going to be driving across Georgia to uh, Alabama and probably stop in Auburn or something then hopefully Montgomery when we come back and Mississippi and Louisiana and you know we just had 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's speech and things like that and um, um, Clyde do you grow up in North Carolina or uh, uh, no I grew up in Milwaukee with well, Milwaukee North okay yes yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so. I'm, I'm curious because you know when your kids deal with racism it, obviously it's different just like um, different from Kimberly's father you know and mm. um, um, what, what what do you feel like the future for your kids? I mean, academically, they're extremely smart. That's not going to be a problem. But yeah. it's going to be different, right? I mean, they grow up. I mean, your youngest daughter did grow up with President Obama. She right. probably don't even remember white president. Yeah, she doesn't. I'm sure next yeah. time we have a different president, if it's not black, she's like, wow, we have a, we finally have a white <laughs> president, right? So, <laughs> because one time I was listening to NPR, this, they were interviewing this young black girl, and she just asked because they were talking about NBA. And like she just asked, when did they allow white people to play NBA? You know, <laughs> right? So right. I'm 44, and I couldn't imagine. I work in Michael Dukakis campaign ADA, and if somebody were told me my when I was in high school that we we're going to have black president, I honestly couldn't even imagine. That's like science, science, science fiction, and there's so much change, changes in racial relationship, changes in Technology. I mean, it's really dizzying for me, you yeah. know. And I don't know how you guys do it because your kids are dealing with so much changes, yeah. you know. And they seem so much smarter than us, so much savvier. And um, you know, you, you both of you, because power couple, and then you guys are smart. But your daughters and your sons gonna be. I don't know what they're gonna do <laughs> by the time they're in the mid thirties. You know, yeah. I mean, youngest daughter want to be a doctor. Your mm -hmm. daughter want to go Oxford. Um, yeah. You guys, you must be thrilled to have a, such amazing kids. Well, you know, the thing about it is, is that, in, in, going back to what you said, you know, I remember, you know, back in, the, in when you looked at TV back in the day, they would always portray if they ever had a black president on there, it was to show how much the the world is, you know, different and you know, <laughs> it's futuristic and things like that. But it, you know, because it was so un believable you know and and now we're at this situation where um you know we we try to give our children such such different uh, perspectives in life, you know, and give them experiences so they can see the world and see uh, different things. You know, unfortunately, you know, not all the children are 
uh, as, as you know, fortunate as our children mm-hmm. um, to do that. And so, you know, we're always going to deal with the haves and have nots, the people that try to oppress, you know, and try to keep people in, in certain situations. But, you know, hopefully the things that Kim does, the things that I do, not only are, are, are um, uh, example to our children, but example to, you know, many more people to see that, you know, this is it's a bigger world than just the, the shackles that are sometimes put on. And you can always break those shackles and you can always do whatever you want to do. Sure. And that's what, and that's, and that's what we preach all the time, you know. So, you know, going back to what you said, you know, I hope that my children see a better life and a better world than what we got a chance to see and, 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 and are able to reach back and, and say, you know, you know, this is what you can achieve. And, you know, and my parents were an example. And, you know, and now I want to be I want to give back to, you know, the community. Yeah, and, and if we learn anything from last two elections, Republican Party, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't hate them, but they're pretty clueless how much the country have changed. They're really clueless, and I think, I think Mitt Romney is still clueless why he lost, be, because if you don't have inclusive policies where, you know, and I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to pinpoint white people either. There are many poor white people in Appalachian Mountains that they deserve to get help you know so it's got to be inclusive policy and it's amazing you know Kimberly's mother's North Korean the father's black she's you know I'm Asian and Alice is white you know you're black and like uh, this is a multi-racial society now you know and I hope um, and and whatever the prejudice I had the younger kids who have less of it and oh, yeah. you know it's um, I, I, I do think incremental things are getting better because right. It last uh, six years with Obama, it just I'm still surprised it's, it happened. Yeah. I was at the Tonight Show because I have a lot of friends working there, and I went I went there because I'm a big fan of Maggie Gyllenhaal, and she was there, and 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 uh, I saw Senator Obama walk in by himself. This is the first time he was on Tonight Show, but when I saw him, I just asked my friend who was a security guard, "Oh, who's that good-looking R and B singer?" Because <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know who right. he who, who he was, and when he right. told me that he's running for president of the United States I, I, I just thought that sounds so absurd but mm-hmm. you know people with destiny and talent and intelligence you can change America even with all our racial problems and um, I think I think it's America is yeah. getting better every day you know America's I'm optimistic and incrementally yeah and and your story, Kim, it's just shocking. You know, <laughs> your mother fled North Korea and your yeah. father's tough upbringing in Louisiana. I can't imagine what was yeah, what no. was your, your dad's life as a teenager. Good right. grief, you know, with that racism and terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we need to, like you said, we need to appreciate races. And I think, like, with our household, race really hasn't ever been an issue. I mean, we're very inclusive of mm-hmm. all races, religions, creeds sexual orientation I mean we were just talking to our kids the other day about gay marriage and they were looking at us like why are we even talking about this yeah, like, it's what, not what, an issue but like, like what's the big deal you know and we we're like oh okay you know you're right there is no because you know we're obviously supporters of that and so um you know, America is just one big dysfunctional family, you know, and it's like, that's just how it is. And there's always going to be problems. But as long as we can talk to each other and, and deal with it, I think that's why it's really important to talk about race, but also not to make such a big issue about it. You know, it's exhausting. You know, like I said, the racial problems or that, that people make in America that aren't always necessarily the problem, you know, and so, you know, it just is what it is. And that's it. You know, and like we said, we're sitting here. We're all rainbow sitting here, you know, the four of us. So, you know, what can you do? 
All right. Um, you, we'll we'll be done in a few minutes. No and, problem. Uh, well, it's, so we stopped for a minute because you, your daughter was. Is she okay? Uh, she's, oh, she's fine. It's, okay. You know, it's jet lag, first day of school, and yeah. drama. Yeah, <laughs> she's good. Whenever kids cry, it just I just panic. Oh I, really? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you know. Like, geez, you know, take her to emergency. Right. Or, you know, you just. Um, yeah. You guys are great. No, we, we took a little break. You guys talked to her. She calmed down, and you know, that's. Um, I'm sure that has a lot to do with part of your job. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, Kim, Kim, um, I, I think I also have one more question for you. But uh, before that, I, I, like I said, I'm. I'm glad I met you, and, and thanks for doing this again. I know you're very busy, and you you know you share your house with us last night, and oh, no you know it's. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. I just want nothing but the best for you and your family, and uh, you know you have a, such a great support in your husband, mm-hmm. your kids, and you know I'm glad you get to sit down, relax, even though you cheat and always sneak and work. Uh, right. But um, <laughs> I'm glad you got to go to Paris and uh, London, and um, your kids are going to be. So savvy, they're so savvy with high tech, different culture, race. You know, just, yeah, they're just. Well, I hope so, uh, but I really appreciate. It. Also, I want to give a shout out to Jessica with um, Owe, one woman a Jessica year. Jessica Lamb, yes. Jessica Lamb. I mean, she really was very hospitable to us, and she really is. You know, we went to Oxford, and she really showed us around, and she's a big part of the reason why Diva really, Diva, my oldest daughter, came back and said, you know, I want to go to Oxford. So yeah. I'm so appreciative to Jessica because, you know, when we were driving to Oxford, it was a lot of grumbling, like, why are we going to Oxford? You know, oh, so, is that right? Yeah. Yes. So it was, you know, because, you know, she wanted to shop in London, which is understandable. And so it was really, really a great, great experience for not just her, but for all of us. So we're really appreciative to Jessica. Did, did, did Diva have, did she have a chance to talk to Jessica a little bit? Oh, uh, my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, she did. She did. I mean, you know, she's she just started the 11th grade today. And, you know, at least, you know, when I was going to school and you're starting 11th and 12th, you know, leaving the house, you're kind of like, you don't even think about it. You just want to think about school. And so sure. she's kind of going through that phase you know she wants she knows she wants to go to college and so it's kind of nice that she came back like i'm going to oxford so that was really really cool and i was really happy last time when uh, allison was talking to uh your daughter and mm-hmm. you know like i could talk to your husband about breaking bad in sports or something but i don't i don't know what are you supposed to say a, a, a young woman at that age so i'm right. glad jessica and allison had a chance to talk to them and mm-hmm. jessica I, I i have so much love and respect for her because you know, studying science degree, advanced oh degree in Oxford, I'm sure she's very busy, but there's things that she's so um, involved and, and concerned about. And I, I met her last December in San Francisco, and we had a mutual friend, um, Sarah Jean, who right. you know from Afghanistan. And she's Sarah concerned. Jean is wonderful. She's so, wonderful. Yes. She's concerned. And like um, both, all three of you, you can make so much uh, better life for you and, and more money in uh, uh, you know regular uh, professional jobs but that you guys are really concerned mm-hmm. with those issues you know and Jessica Moore she is just gung ho so about improving the situation of women and yeah. all people you know mm-hmm. so um, I, I I didn't know she had a, such a huge itinerary for you oh guys my from, uh, like she a, is amazing <laughs> It was funny. It was literally, I told her that we're thinking about coming to Oxford and like within minutes, she like gave me a a two-day itinerary of what we could do in Oxford. I mean, it literally was like, 
I'm thinking about it. You know? mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm very, very happy that she did do that. And we spent, you know, we're able to spend a day there. And it was really, really amazing. So did you guys actually stay at the Oxford too? The we campus? did, yes. Okay. We stayed on campus in the dorms, which was also a really good experience, you know, for, for Diva. Sure. Um, to know what, sort of what the dorms are like. And, you know, it was really, really cool. And her friend Dexter, um, he took us punting, which is really cool. Basically, it's, it's, at what? Punting was just basically like boating. He, like, it's. It's something like a gondola. Uh-huh. So you so you get on this boat and you have the person in the back with the long stick and sure. push you forward, you know. And uh, I actually did it, Derek. huh? Derek. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Derek, Derek, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I actually got back there and did it a little bit. He showed me how to do it, and I, I went, like, probably, like, two miles an hour. I think we were racing ducks, and they were actually beating us when I was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and they were getting harassing us for food and stuff. So, I, you know, they had, he had to take it back from me. But it was just an excellent experience. And, and another thing, too, was is that all the kids were involved because it was Harry Potter, you know. And, oh, really? oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we saw all. And, I mean, <laughs> I mean, and, and it was it was like history, you know, because yeah. they were like telling me all the sites where you know where uh, you know Harry Potter sat one time and this scene, and it was like you know it was like kid history, you know. So it was just actually it was just it was just really fun. Book of the Hobbit by J.R. Token because he actually went to Oxford. Sure. So it was just really, really a great, great experience for them. So much history there, so much. Isn't it amazing? Like, I, I, I always had to hammer this in, but your mother fled North Korea. I know. Your, your father did with all those horrible things in Louisiana. And now here you are, your kid, your daughter's, in, you know, thinking about going to Oxford. Like, and it just shows, like, if you give enough time, things can get better. And um, right. all that's that. Um, um, you know, you know what it is with you. I, I one of my favorite movie is Goodfellas, uh-huh. and there's a Joe Pesci's character and uh, Robert De Niro, and um, basically, Joe Pesci's character is full Italian, mm-hmm. and uh, Robert De Niro's character is half Italian, so he could never be a full member of mob. So when Joe Pesci's character was promoted, all his friends were just happy. Basically, they're living their life through one of their best friends, and to me, oh. whenever good things happen to you, Kim. I just feel like I'm just oh. living, you know, and it makes yeah, me feel good sweet. that even hearing the story about your daughter want to go to Oxford, that one trip yeah. going to change her life because with your connection, your husband's connection, how much you work hard for them, mm-hmm. your daughter's going to have just not only the greatest education, but the whole world because London, you know, she's going to be traveling Europe too, you know, she's going to oh, be yeah, a she definitely will very be. young, smart, cosmopolitan mm-hmm. young lady and yo. Son and young, you know, youngest daughter could visit her. You oh, know, yeah. there would be, be so much more worldly people, and that's what this country needs. You know, oh, more, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, it's like really me going to Afghanistan really sort of opened a lot of doors for me because it was the first time I left the U.S. You're like a silly person. You know, yeah. most people go to Mexico, Canada, <laughs> or England. You went to the hardcore. <laughs> you know, honestly, like when we came back from London, we were talking about our next trip, and honestly, I want our next trip to be North Korea, but they're not down. <laughs> and I'm like, we have to go to North Korea. I think I need to get to Brazil or something. No, North Korea. But, you know, I really want to go there, like, on a family trip. But I don't know if that will happen. So we'll see. (laughs) Because you can go there. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm sure. Especially, you know, you have friends like Shane Smith Advice. Right. People like that will help you. But it's not the vacation tourist destination, you know. (laughs) Alex, did you have a question? Last question? I was just going to say with the visibility now, with the Vanity Fair article and stuff. Mm -hmm. What are you hoping for young lawyers, like, I know that financially maybe there's not incentive to do this. And, of course, people want to do good, but there's plenty of good to do here, too. So how do you provide extra incentive for young people 
like in law school or just starting out to do what you do? Well, I mean, I think young lawyers need to understand that they need to sacrifice and they need to take the time to really learn the craft of litigation if that's where they want to go and that's the area that I'm in. And to be honest, you know, you really have to, if if this is what you want to do, and I always have young lawyers that come to me from around the world, especially law students, that are really sort of, this. you're doing exactly what I want to do. And I always tell them, you know, you really need to take the time to go to the courts, to read the law, to learn from other lawyers, and not just go after the money, you know, because, you know, we could do that. We could really, you know, be making more than we're making, but we're making a lot of sacrifices um, because we understand that for us, the ultimate goal is justice and providing better, competent legal representation to our clients. And I think that's what I want lawyers to understand is that every case, every client, every situation is very, very important. And in order for you to represent your client, you need to really understand the craft and understand the laws and be willing to fight for your clients wherever they are because everyone is entitled to justice. And so that's what I want young lawyers to take away from and to understand at least from my perspective, that money is easy. Any moron can make money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about making a difference. That's what's important, and that's what's priceless. That's great. Um, because I think you were telling me you had a couple of graduate students, uh, recently graduated law school students, and they they didn't even last a week, right? To be well, they weren't recent grads. These were seasoned lawyers oh. that, uh, <laughs> that that didn't last. I mean, the longest mm-hmm. I've had an attorney last with Motley Legal is seven days, and that includes the weekends. Wow! Because it's it's a you know it as 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 much visibility as I get for my cases, sure. and as much sort of notoriety as I get for my cases, the shit is hard. You know, it's not easy to try cases in Afghanistan, and people learn that very quickly once they follow me and they're working with me and I, I think I'm a reasonable person but you know I work you know and I expect that people if they want to work with me they need to work you know they're not just there for namesake they're there to work and to you know represent the clients and sometimes we win most of the times we win and very few times we lose but we try to get results and so I think that's why lawyers haven't really lasted mm-hmm. more than seven days with me because you know, we, we practice very differently. We're very hands-on. In Afghanistan, we have a unique security situation um, with the way that we carry ourselves. And so, you know, it's not comfortable for a lot of people. And, you know, also we incorporate a lot of our street smarts, which really goes a long way with the legal practice. Especially and and I think situations. a lot of them are missing that street smart because you grow up in projects in a rough neighborhood in uh, Milwaukee, you know. Exactly. Um, I mean, like when we were stopped over by those cops when we were on the way to pull yes. a charkey, do you think a Harvard degree would have helped you get you out of that? No. Or would that have gotten you? You know, and I always tell a lot of lawyers, I really respect a lot of um, legal education institutions. I you know, totally do. I totally get it. But, you know, I get a lot of lawyers that are like, you know, I want to go to Oxford. I want to go to Harvard and get their law degree. And I certainly encourage that. And they say, well, I want to be a lawyer like you. And, you know, I tell them, I said, well, what school did I go to? And they're like, I don't know. And I said, well, the shit doesn't matter what school you go to. It's about you getting that degree and getting out there, rolling up your sleeves and doing it. And that's it. Just do it. If you want to do it, just do it. That's it. Yeah, it's 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 not an easy um it's not an easy environment if you just graduate from Harvard or something, you know, and um, mm-hmm. no AC, very little <laughs> security, and, you know, but, um, but Kim, Kim thinks, um, can you remind the listeners your Twitter account address? Um, oh, my Twitter, thank you. My Twitter account address is KCY Motley. 
And also I have a blog, which I need to do a better job of blogging, which I will in the future. It's Motley's Law. Motley Laws, sorry, M-O-T-L-E-Y Laws, L-A-W-S um, dot com. I also have a Facebook account. I virtually accept everybody mm -hmm. um, where I like to put different articles, but it's Kimberly, K-I-M-B-R-L-E-Y dot Motley, M-O-T-L-E-Y. And people can hit me up however they want to hit me up. And, you know, it's, it's good to go. We also have a, a website, www.MotleyLegalOneWord.com. Uh, and, and I want everyone to look at uh, through Branson's uh, uh, blog article about you. Yes. In addition to Tom Friston's amazing article on Vanity Fair, because uh, mm -hmm. I, I got I do have a um, good feeling that they will come bring you back with a future article in the printed edition. And I'm a huge fan of Vanity Fair, and it's really important that people, uh, position, power, and influence should hear and read about what you're doing and oh, thank you. I hope it inspires other law school students <laughs> to do something besides you know investment banking law or whatnot there, there are other things you could do with legal degrees that great work you know there's people starving for justice so oh definitely thank, thanks for doing that and um, anyone who has information about getting Mike Tyson for right. boxing for Kimberly it's um, I'm, I'm just hoping that it really happened and Russell Peters tentatively said he'll be interested if you would get Mike, so right. you know anyone who's listening to this, friend of mine, please encourage him to think about and it. And if he comes, I'll protect him in Afghanistan. Oh, sure. <laughs> you don't need any other security yeah. except a Kimberly. I'll tell right. you. <laughs> did I? I did not one one minute was afraid when we got pulled over by those cops in Afghanistan. You know, it, it just it just uh, made me laugh because after a while he was just he was he just gave up. There's right. there's nothing that he could say to make you nervous i mean the translator was a little like oh boy what are we going to do but um yeah i wasn't worried not even one second i might even put that clip uh with this uh okay yeah yeah up there um you should end this podcast with niggas in paris <laughs> yeah, well, is that what you want me to call it yeah you should that's the name of the song <laughs> oh, okay well okay I'll, I'll let me yes i will let me um <laughs> let me put it like it's okay yeah all right i'll, I'll do that for you <laughs> Kim, uh, Claude, uh, Allison, thanks, thanks for doing this. Um, I'm glad we drove to uh, North Carolina, Charlotte, and see your family. And uh, um, I'm, I'm thrilled. And last words, Allison. Thanks for doing this, Allison. Yeah, uh, thank you. No, th I mean, thanks. This, this has been great. Like, I, I, that was, I think maybe the second podcast I listened to of Yoshi's, and I was just like, who is this woman? This oh, is crazy. Sweet. It was great. It's really inspiring, and you know, I don't know. I just, I'm so impressed by. Like he says, you know, the fact that you can do that and then have this family here, you know, you live in this great place and have these great kids that are smart and, like you said, not just, you know, they're well-mannered because they're good kids. You know oh, what I mean? You. It's very genuine and I know a lot of kids, so. Oh, thank you. <laughs> great kids usually have great parents and you guys are great. So Thank yeah, you. Thank, you guys thanks, are always welcome. Thanks for doing it and um, safe trip back to Afghanistan and Pakistan and... Uh, North Korea. I don't know if I will see you at the end of the year, but I would definitely like to see January. And I hope uh, you make progress, all the other projects you're working on. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And I think you have a lot of fans and people who admire you. And, uh, and of course, your husband, Cloud, for making all the sacrifices. Yes, definitely. So thanks. And uh, um, thanks, everyone, to listening to this particular episode. And um, I have to remind everyone, this episode was dedicated to Kathy Buck, who owns Camille cinema up in St. Helena, California, which is in Napa Valley, and uh, it's very famous. They have Francis Ford Coppola and Robert Redford premiering their movies, and uh, it's a beautiful single 
uh, screen theater, cameocinema.com. So please visit that cinema in St. Helena. And I'm hoping one of these days, uh, whoever is the actress lucky enough to play Kimberly and uh, Claude <laughs> in a movie, it's really important that they do that because um, movie is one of the greatest ways to reach people. And I hope it happens because I want more Americans to care about people overseas. And don't, I don't like this isolationism that right. they're running in this country because what happened overseas will, con uh, 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 will uh, have impact in our lives too, you know. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Kimberly, for doing the work. And uh, I want to thank your family and listen to this, can listen to this episode. All right, thank you. Good night. Bye. <laughs> First niggas gotta find me. What's 50 grand to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Ball so hard, this shit crazy. Y'all don't know that don't shit phase. And that's the go. Oh, for 82, when I look at you like this shit gravy. Ball so hard, this shit weird. We ain't even pro be here. Ball so hard, since we here. It's only right that we be fair. Psycho, I'm libo, to go Michael. Take your pick. Jackson, Tyson, Jordan. Game six, also hard, got a broke clock, rollies that don't tick tock, all the Mars that's losing time, hitting behind all these big rocks, also hard, I'm shocked too, I'm supposed to be locked up too, you escape what I escape, you be in Paris getting fucked up too, also hard, let's get faded, libraries for like six days, gold bottles, soul models, spilling ace on my sick days, also hard, bitch behave, just might let you meet gay, shot towns, B-rolls, moving the next. BK, also hard motherfuckers wanna find me. That shit crack. That shit crack. That shit crack. Also hard motherfuckers wanna find me. That shit crack. That shit crack. That shit crack. She said, yeah, can we get married at the mall? I said, look, you need to cry for your bar. Come and meet me in the bathroom style. And show me why you deserve to have it all. Also that she crack. That she crack. Ain't it Jay? Also what she order? What she order? It's filet. Also Yo, whip so cold. Whip so cold. This whole thing. Also Act like you ever be around motherfuckers like this again. Who's your girl? Grab her hand. Fuck that bitch. She don't want to dance. She's my friends, but I'm in France. <laughs> I'm just saying. Prince Williams ain't do it right if you ask me. Cause I was him, I would've Mary Kay and Ashley. Was Gucci my nigga? Was Louis my killer? Was drugs my dealer? What's that jacket, Margiela? Doctors say I'm the illest. Cause I'm suffering from realness. Got my niggas in Paris. And they going gorillas. Huh? I don't even know what that means. No one knows what it means. But it's provocative. No, it's not. It gets gross. the people going. It's so hard, motherfuckers wanna find me. Don't let me get in my zone. 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 Don't let me get in my zone.
let me get in my zone. The stars is in the building, they hands to the ceiling. I know I'm about to kill it. How you know I got that feeling? You are now watching the throne. Don't let me into my zone. Don't let me into my zone. I'm definitely in my zone.